Welcome back to Halftime with Chuck and Drew on the eve of this 21st edition of our Always Smart and Sensible podcast, which will make you the hit of any social gathering should you repeat some of the information given to you during it. I remind you that I am Chuck, your standby for truth, justice, and the American way, and this other guy, the man we all hope to become until our parents told us the fairy tales weren't true and the guy is in his own fantasy league playing himself. Drew. Chuck, I got to tell you, the last show was so good, it took me about a month to recover. That's right. It's been about, uh, yeah, it's been about a month since we've been doing the podcast, and that was because you took a trip. You were yeah. gone for several weeks, and uh, you were establishing yourself as the international jet-set playboy that you are, cruising <laughs> the tourist traps and authentic pizza establishments of Italy. Yeah. I was here plotting our successful return to the airwaves, earbuds, headphones, and speakers. In other words, I was doing all the work while Drew was working on his luxurious tan, yeah. earning the advances of international beauties and playing hide-and-go-seek with the foreign paparazzi. Right. Well, working on my tan, and I, I wish I could say that's true, I have terrible skin, I, you know, Scandinavian roots, and I get teased about that every time I'm over there. They say I put more clothes on to go to the beach than I do to go to dinner. You know, I've so, been over here the whole time. I know yeah. I've got a better tan than you do. You, you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm one of those people, I have sunscreen in the office in my car. I have to put it on just to walk across campus. And over there, like the best kind of sunscreen is the stuff that you use for sensitive skin. And that's children's sunscreen. So I'm walking around with this like baby style sunscreen <laughs> and, and everybody gets a kick out of this. So <laughs> well, we welcome you back, though. We're happy you're back. Uh, yeah. I had a chance to see some of the pictures of your trip on social media. I was very impressed, and it appeared you had a great deal of fun. Yeah, it always is fun. And these are, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world, but, the you know, these are old roommates, old friends that, you know, many I've, I've known since college or shortly thereafter. And while it's great to be able to go over there, it is. Uh, at the end of it, you kind of wish... It would also be great to have friends over here. Like, it kind of sucks you only get to see them once a year or so. Like, I see you every week, so. Well, I, I will say this. Uh, I was going to ask you this real quick because we've got a lot to cover, obviously, during the show. But yeah, maybe give us the abridged version of some of the highlights of the trip. Well, okay, yeah. We didn't really do anything touristy as, you know – if they were to come over here, you probably wouldn't do the touristy stuff either. But uh, some of the towns we went to were down in southern Italy. We didn't leave the country of Italy. We normally like to go to Germany or France or some other places where we have friends that live. But I think with COVID, we were – I was so concerned about getting over there, much less getting back in if we left. So we mainly just went around kind of southern Italy and to, to this beach in Venice and basically just kind of hung out there. Well, usually right now we talk about what we've been watching on TV, and I have to admit, I am curious, did you watch anything on Italian TV, and what was that like, and did they have stuff like how to make uh, the proper meatball or how to speak angrily with <laughs> your hands for uh, emphatic gestures? I, uh, I mean, I don't know if they have roller derby or anything along that line. Uh, the Olympics were on. Um, most of the places we went – we stayed at basically what amounted to a campground for a week uh, in Southern Italy and the Italy, and they didn't really have TVs there, but while we were back at their house, watch the Euro final. That was, that was exciting to be over there when Italy won it. 
in the Olympics and that was about it. So no, like nothing really exciting on TV. And when okay. you turn it on, almost no channels are in English anyway. So well, do they have say American TV shows that are dubbed yeah. in Italian? Oh yeah, like a lot of our shows over. Well, it, they watch them. They understand English, so a lot of what they watch is is similar to what we watch. I would think uh, you a know. show like Andy Griffith would lose a whole lot in Italian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not Andy Griffith, but no, they like the same movies and sitcoms that, that we like. But then again, they're from here. Or they lived here a lot. Yeah, that's right. Because we, we should point out that the people we're talking about went to school with you over here. Yeah. And uh, the one guy I think is American and his wife is from Germany, but they live in Italy. Is that right? Okay, he's from America. She is from Italy. They met in Germany. Both of them knew German as their second language. Neither one of them really knew English or Italian that well at the time, but they both speak it fluently now. Well, that was like a tour of the United Nations right there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, they were mad I didn't bring them any more head state stuff, uh, which I was kind of surprised at the same time. Happy to hear that, but sad that I didn't hear any from them. So, But next year we will. Okay. While you've been gone, I've been watching the Amazon series we've talked about before, Bosch. Mm -hmm. This was the seventh and final season for Bosch, who is an L.A. police detective. He's a very complicated individual, and generally the cases he gets involved with are very intricate, hard to solve. Somehow you wonder how he's going to solve them. He's got some personal issues going on, usually at the same time that he has to also try to solve. At that time, he's dealing with all these cases. But after I watched season seven, I thought, you know what? I want to go back and rewatch the previous six seasons because there's always something you miss and something that actually sets up the next following season, including season seven. And really, I've enjoyed watching them the second time around more so than I did the really? first time around. And there are shows that are like that because as part of the appeal of the show is knowing the characters and things like that, that like you do. And sometimes seeing something after you've gotten to know the characters makes you enjoy it even more. It's almost more fun as a second run. Well, I can genuinely say that Bosch is a great show. Once again, it's on Amazon. We have it through Amazon Prime. I've enjoyed watching, and I think anybody who likes crime dramas would really enjoy watching this show. It's a little gritty at times. Mm -hmm. It's not made for kids in any sense of the matter, but it is a really, really good show. But now, after we finish talking about that of course after several weeks away we renew the fastest growing most popular segment of american podcasting the part of the show that you like best where yes. we discuss the spectacular and almost science fiction like marvel <laughs> of the manliness that is my friend and co-host drew bardett it's who knew about drew <laughs> Today on Who Knew About Drew, we learned that Drew's electric personality has been used to power at least seven major U.S. cities and two military encampments on the island of Guam. He can cause a light bulb to illuminate simply by holding it in his hand. Thus, he has become the modern-day version of Uncle Fester from the Adams family, who used to be able to do the same thing by putting those very same light bulbs in his mouth. Well, not the same things because that would be unsanitary. Fester later yeah. went on to a career in boxing. It was very unsuccessful due to the fact he did have a glass jaw. Yeah. I, uh, I would also, if I moved on to a career in boxing, I think it would also be very unsuccessful. <laughs> I could sell advertising on the bottom of my shoes. Well, and if you're new to the show, for those of you out there, don't worry about being late to the party. 
We've saved you a seat at the table, and we welcome you, of course. The first part of Halftime with Chuck and Drew always features a sports topic, while the second part deals with matters involving pop culture. Today on the sports segment, we're going to talk about pro sports all-star games. Do they really matter, and do fans still care about them? And, Drew, I'll let you lead off. Okay, and this was sort of a fascinating topic. At the time you introduced it, it was around – the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which, in my opinion, that is still sort of the gold standard of All-Star Games. I know that it has a completely different flavor and feel now than it did when it began. Uh, it started in the 1930s, really, during the during the Depression, if I'm not mistaken, and the intent was to try and generate interest in, a ga- in the game at a time when attendance was down, not because interest in the game was down, but because of the financial hardships at the time. And for the longest time, it was sort of a crown jewel because it was the all-stars from the American League and the National League. So a lot of good players on the field at the same time at a time when the leagues really didn't play each other. So there was a lot of pride on both sides, and they really kind of wanted to win that game. And I would say it stayed that way, Chuck, maybe even as late as the 80s and and further to where it was one of the few all-star games where – you had all-star talent and it was a showcase, but you had them out there playing as hard as they could to win the game. I don't think other sports have really come close to what baseball had, and I don't think really baseball is there anymore. I think we're going to get into that a little more as you and I discuss it, but the NBA all-star game, for instance, is more of a showcase than it is a really intense competitive game, as is the NFL Pro Bowl, which is more or less a touch football game after the season's over. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll point out that first All-Star game occurred on July 6th of 1933. You said it was a showcase of Major League Baseball's biggest stars. And it occurred at Comiskey Park in Chicago. It was actually the brainchild of Chicago Tribune sports editor, Arch Ward, and was designed to coincide with the celebration of Chicago's Century of Progress exposition. And uh, as you mentioned, it was the American League stars against the National League stars. The AL won that first one four to two. And of course, the biggest star in the game at that time was Babe Ruth. And he hit a two-run homer to lead the American League to victory, which was kind of only fitting at, at that point. The All-Star Games now occur generally in the middle of the baseball season, probably about the middle of the NBA and NHL season. For the NFL, the Pro Bowl, their All-Star Game occurs it's kind of a weird thing. Right after the playoffs, after the conference championship games, and a week before the Super Bowl. So it's kind of stuffed in there. It used to be a couple of weeks or a week or two anyway after the Super Bowl. And if you remember, and this was a long time ago, there used to also be an all-star game in early August featuring the NFL champion against the college football all-stars. That went from 1934 to 1976. Incidentally, that game was also fathered by Arch Ward. It was designed to raise money for various charities. The 1960 or 1976 game was such a fiasco. They had a torrential rainstorm at Soldier Field in Chicago. The fans rushed the field and they were sliding on the turf and making uh, all sorts of havoc out there, fighting with each other. And the Chicago police could not control them. So they basically called off the game before it was over, got the teams off the field for their safety. (laughs) But then they decided that, you know what, this is not really such a great idea to have these pros, these seasoned pros, playing against these college all-stars because these college all-stars 
Most of them were draftees for NFL teams. Some of them would get hurt in these games. Some of them actually hurt to the point where they never played again. Some of them hurt to the point where they couldn't contribute to their teams for at least a few weeks or more. So at that point, they decided that the college all-star game had to go by the boards, and it was no longer after 1976. Interesting, huh? Yeah, that is interesting. I I had been aware that there had been such a game. It, you know, I wasn't born until 1979, so I don't have any direct memories of it. I don't think I realized it lasted for that long. I, I thought it's something they just tried a couple times and then realized football is, you know, it's a very violent sport. It's It's a really unique sport. Not that, you know, baseball has, not baseball, but basketball, there's contact in it, but probably not a good idea to play a football game like that. And how do you get ready for a football game? Because there's so many of the positions are specialty positions. All-star games of any kind just don't work as well. I really used to look forward to, especially the baseball all-star game. Yeah, I did too. Not so much anymore, to be quite frank with you. These games, they're technically exhibition games, but it seems like, as you noted, the players really played for – league pride and for personal pride and played to win and that attitude actually kind of bled into some of the other sports all-star games but it doesn't seem like that anymore and I think that a lot of that has to do with in my book free agency because players are now changing teams more often changing leagues and conferences more often so the pride factor has kind of lessened it's you know one of those things that it's nice to win but it's no big deal. We walk away from this with a certain amount of money and then we go back to what we're doing, you know, in in terms of the regular season. I think you're right about that, Chuck. And in any sport, regardless of the sport, all-star games on the surface appear to be a great idea. What's the best game that you're going to see other than the best players in the world, which the all-star game is, the Pro Bowl is, playing as hard as they can to try and win the game I only think that all-star games these days give you half those things. They give you the best players in the world, but they don't necessarily create a situation to where those players are playing as hard as they can in a game that they really want to win. I don't know if that exists in American sports at all anymore in all-star games, but for a while, and it was a long while, like maybe 60 years, baseball had that. You watched the all-star game and you felt like these are the best players in the world really trying to win this game. Well, a perfect example of that would be the 1970 All-Star Game at Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium, which ended with Pete Rose coming around from second to score on a single by the Cubs' Jim Hickman, and he ran over Ray Fossey at the plate to score the game-winning run. That wouldn't happen today. No, it it wouldn't happen at all. Like He he basically turned himself into a human missile. (laughs) But, yeah, you wouldn't see that at all today, not in an All-Star Game. There's been a lot of format changes to the All-Star games, not so much baseball. The only difference might be the designated hitter, which really is negligible when you talk about the overall concept of playing a baseball game. But then you you look at uh, the NFL's Pro Bowl, for instance, from 2014 to 2016, instead of having the traditional AFC versus NFC matchup, they allowed Hall of Fame players like Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders to pick their own all-star teams and play against one another. And I think it lost a lot when they did that. It really wasn't the same feel whatsoever. And I actually had no interest in the game. And and I think the NFL picked up on that. And in 2017, they went back to the AFC-NFC format. 
But look at some of the other things in the football game. There are no kickoffs. The players can't rush the punter. There is intentional grounding now that's legal. There is limited contact, provided the ball carrier is surrounded by potential tacklers. So it's kind of like those old cowboy movies where the cowboys are in the wagon train and the Indians circle around the wagon train. Now the cowboys just raise the white flag and surrender. Yeah. Trying to pick up extra yardage or whatever. And one of the questions I kind of have, and it's it's rhetorical, but who are the all-star games for? Is it for the fans or is it yes. for the players? And is the NFL all-star, like the NFL Pro Bowl for the longest time felt like it was more of a jamboree for the players than it was a showcase game for the fans. It was in Hawaii. Everybody kind of went out there for a week. They had dinners and were on vacation and getting pictures taken and their families were there. And, you, you know, a good time was had by all. But if you were just a fan that turned on the game, that was a horrible game to watch from a football standpoint. Exactly. I think the game, <laughs> the Pro Bowl was better in the 60s and into the early 70s, mid-70s, perhaps, maybe even late 70s. And the same thing that's happened in baseball has happened in the Pro Bowl where, you know, they're just kind of there going through the motions of what is an exhibition game. The NHL, for instance, with its all-star game has gone through some format changes. I can remember, and I was alive uh, back in the 60s when there were still six teams in the NHL, and their all-star game consisted of the previous year's league champion taking on all-stars from the other five teams. And, I mean, it was to the point where there were actually fights in the game. There yeah. were fights in the game. And, I mean, they took that seriously. The NHL took its its all-star game seriously. And then they had, of course, when they added six more teams, they went Eastern Conference versus Western Conference. And now they've gone into this thing where they've gone away from the conference matchups to these modified games using three-on-three formats pitting all-stars from each division against one another in almost shortened scrimmages. And it's kind of weird. The NBA also has this odd format that reverts the score each 12-minute quarter to 0-0. Zero to zero. And at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the game clock is turned off and a final target score will be set based on the leading team's <laughs> cumulative score through the first three quarters. You have to have a degree in almost nuclear physics to figure out what's going on. Yeah. That target score will be the leading team's total score plus 24 points. Huh? <laughs> Just play basketball. Just yeah. play basketball. Yeah, I kind of liked it liked it when you just said that whoever had the most points at the end of the game won. So you mentioned some pretty crazy formats. Um, this kind of exists in basketball. I think it definitely exists in hockey, whereas it's not so much an NHL all-star game, but there is a world cup or a world championship of hockey. And do national teams sort of become de facto all-star teams? Because I know that this is the case big time in soccer, like the, the national team is a team of all-stars, and boy, do they want to win those games. Like, when you're talking World Cup qualifying, World Cup, but the World Cup of hockey or the World Cup of rugby, which is not a, a huge revenue, a huge deal in the United States, but is around the world, does that sort of give you that best players in the world playing in a game where they're actually really wanting to win in a way that maybe the Major League Baseball game, all-star game doesn't but used to? Is that – the peak of the sport in hockey. Well, I will say this, the NHL during winter Olympic years, when they allow their players to compete in those games, 
does not have an all-star game. I guess they considered the Olympics perhaps almost like their all-star games because yeah. the individual players are competing for their native countries. So in a sense, those are their all-stars. And I, I think that's kind of a, a nice thing to do. You know, what's interesting too is over the years, we've seen the all-star games add skills competitions. I think that, you know, kind of boosts fan interest a little bit. Yeah, Baseball, of course, has the popular home run derby. The NFL has various skills competitions yeah. involving like passing accuracy and catching the football, you know, a great hands competition. The NBA has its slam dunk competition and its three-point shooting competition. The NHL does things like uh, competitions for shooting accuracy, hardest shots, skating speeds. What I would like, though, from the NHL, if they would get all the goons from the league and have a fighting competition. <laughs> now, that would be a fan favorite. I think oh, that, that would, would be big. Yeah, I think that would be huge. And that would be – they'd probably really want to win that. <laughs> or or at would. least not lose. NHL celebrity punch-out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think That's a that's great idea. Happen. I think, Drew, what's really happened is to a degree that money has changed things. I mean, baseball all-stars, I was kind of checking, get paid anywhere from $18,500 and $100,000. Each all-star gets six free tickets to the game, first-class air travel to and from the game, meals, merchandise, and a $1,000 cash stipend for the few days they're there. Some also have bonuses, of course, written into their contracts with their teams. Should they be named an all-star, they get so much money for that. So when you look at it, these games, do they really mean a lot? Because these guys are multimillionaires. And we're yeah. talking about, for them, pocket change, in a sense. So right. it's not and a real big deal. A lot, of, a lot of players are skipping all-star games for various reasons. They want to spend time with their family, their nursing injuries, or whatever. I never heard of that early on 60s 70s yeah. even 80s where players would willingly skip an all-star game they felt it was an honor to be there and they would go out there with the idea that they were going to defend the honor of their individual league yeah does it matter well all of that sounds great free tickets to the game transport they can get that to pretty much any game anyway <laughs> so i think a lot of players and like you said would almost rather just have three or four days off than they would to go to the game and play in the game. Some of them might almost be a little bit annoyed if they're selected. They, Not that they – I'm sure some part of them is honored to some extent, but some guys probably just want to go home for a little bit. Well, the 64 players named to the Major League All-Star teams can share in a $640,000 pool of money. Now, that sounds like a lot, and only the winning team gets to share in that pool – that's $20,000 a piece. And again, you're talking about guys making millions and millions of dollars. $20,000 really isn't, I mean, for you and me, it'd be a lot. For most oh, that'd people, be, yeah. it'd be a lot. But for these guys, it's it's just not a lot, maybe not enough to capture their interest in, in really playing hard and taking part in these games. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Is there a way to make all-star games more competitive? You mentioned the NBA. It's just the kind of – loaf up and down the floor and someone puts the ball in the basket and the winning team generally is going to score over 180 points now. And then the yeah. NHL, I mean, defense is negligible. Uh, the poor goalies have to feel like they're shell-shocked by the time they get finished with their all-star appearances. But is there a way to fix these things 
to make them more competitive and more honestly competitive? Or are we past that and we're just going to have to move into the future and this is the best we've got? Well, what I can say is that if there is a way to do that, none of the leagues have been able to figure out what that way is. Baseball really made the push. They tried to to incorporate home field advantage in the World Series tied to the All-Star game there for a little bit. That made it feel a little bit more at first, but not really. I, I don't know what you can do because the trick is how do you convince the players that this is a big deal? that winning this game is important. And for a lot of them, I think they're tied in. If their team's in a pennant race or, you know, a playoff race or, or whatever, or they were just eliminated in the case in football from the playoffs or didn't win in the Super Bowl, or even if they did win the Super Bowl, how do you come from that when you are just dialed up to 11 to play in what amounts to an exhibition game with any real feeling of urgency or importance. I mean, I kind of understand the psychology of it. I'm not defending it, but I, I can kind of understand. It doesn't matter to these guys the way that it did to baseball for whatever reason, the 50 or 60 years when that game was really a great game to watch. A couple of decades ago, former baseball commissioner or commissioner at that time, Bud Selig had this idea of putting the World Series hosting rights on right. the line. Yeah in the all-star game. So the winning team or the winning league got to host the world series. And yeah. he was panned for that. I mean, a lot of people really dogged Bud Selig for that, but he was actually trying to find ways to make the game more competitive. I'm afraid the only way to make it more competitive is to put real money into the pot, limit the expense money, and then give each member of the winning team a hundred thousand dollars. Now that's for those guys, even that's real money. Even these multimillionaires, uh, $100,000 yeah. is a real money. I can remember reading uh, Mickey Mantle talked about how money has really changed the competitiveness in sports. For instance, he was talking about players back in his day really wanted so badly to get to the World Series and win it because they actually made more money for doing that than they did during the regular season with their normal right. paychecks. And guys were literally fighting to win because the money involved in being an all-star or a league champion meant so much more to them and their families. Today, the players are multimillionaires, not saying that they don't like to win or compete, but it doesn't hurt them as much not to be an all-star, not to win a league championship, or to lose. Sports right. used to be, as you know, a lot more physical and competitive at times, and sometimes just all-out vicious battles. Not yeah. so much anymore. So really, why should they care about an all-star game? Right. And and I think a lot of them don't. I do think that during the regular season, they are dialed in, maybe not to the degree that the 50s and 60s Yankees and Dodgers were. But for the all-star games, they're just not. Like, I think a lot of them, they'd rather have a few days off or they kind of want to get back to playing in real games for their teams. I do think that winning a World Series, winning a Super Bowl, going to the playoffs – Still means a lot, but I don't think the All-Star Games do. No, no. All right, well, that's the end of topic number one on our show. And Drew and I will step aside for a moment and come back to talk about our pop culture topic. <laughs> Drew, we just got done talking about the reality and meaning of what All-Star Games are. Yeah. You the players in professional sports leagues. Now we're going to talk about 
reality TV shows, which in some cases are about as real as the Easter Bunny yeah. <laughs> and oh. Santa Claus. <laughs> Although, yeah. I hope no kids are listening right now because Santa is real, by the way, kids. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, you, you know, it's one of the things that we all have in common. You, you know, we all got to breathe, we got to eat, and we all once believed in Santa Claus, or a lot of us did. So I think we can right. thank MTV's The Real World for launching reality TV. That came about in 1992 and yes. unfortunately died in 2019. Uh, I guess they put it about went, seven or eight young adults, oh and I use the term adult loosely, <laughs> and they were living together in some sort of a dwelling, maybe an apartment or whatever, right. in New York City. Just a bunch of spoiled kids just screaming and yelling at one another and fighting over stupid stuff. Yes. I remember when that came on, I was in junior high and I don't like to admit it now, but I will for the sake of the show. I was captivated by it the first or second year. I, I forget. I think they were in New York for the first year and they had it. It is what it sounds like. If you don't know what the real world is, if you're listening, you probably do, but it's seven or eight guys or, you know, guys and girls, young adults, late teens, early twenties living together. And, you know, from week to week, it just sort of films their lives and how they get along and how they resolve conflict. And it seems so stupid now uh, fighting over who made a mess in the kitchen. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of like your college experience, but on television in a much nicer one. And then the second one what, that I got into was they lived in that beach house out in California but the real world started this all, and I, I don't think at the age of 14 I realized just how produced and fake this reality TV show was. But it was big, I, at least at the time, and I do think that started the quote-unquote reality television craze. Now there is a reality show for almost every different walk and phase of life. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I mean, you've got these real estate shows where they're – buying and selling houses and these multi-million dollar properties. You've got uh, shows where they're fixing up and turning around and selling old houses. You had Alaska State Troopers, which actually was a favorite of mine. You have American Idol and The Voice, which uh, oh, yeah. gives the average everyday person a chance perhaps to become a singing star. Uh, you have Pawn Stars, where these guys work on a pawn store in Las Vegas, and they yeah. sell all sorts of interesting items that uh, might be valuable, might not be. You have Survivor, of course, is one of the longest running reality shows. Uh, started, I think, around 2001 and is still going strong. Uh, you have The Amazing Race, which is actually kind of a cool one where people get together and it's almost like a scavenger hunt of different types of challenges all over the globe, which is kind of fun to see all these places yeah. and, and see how these people handle them. And they have them doing things that I'm not sure I could do, like, you know, scaling down the side of a skyscraper or a bridge or something like that on a rope and uh, rappelling down. Then you've got shows, uh, which I call the narcissistic reality shows, like Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And please <laughs> don't get me started on all the housewives shows. I mean, oh, God. if you want to talk about too much time on their hands, too much money at their disposal, too much Botox, and all these women with so much collagen in their lips that looks like that they're kissing a life raft. And they all wind up fighting about stupid things that have nothing to do with anything of importance in the regular world. Those are the ones I think I, I like the least. And 
Keeping up with the Kardashians, I checked because I was curious. I knew it had been on for a long time. It was on for 20 years. We followed. Was the, it really? Jeez. Yes, we followed the the action adventures of Chris, Kim, Chloe, and Courtney, of course, then Bruce Jenner, and then his daughters, Kylie and Kendall. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, I didn't watch it. I came I across it every now and then. Yeah. yeah, I might watch it for about all of 60 seconds, but that timer would go off in my head and say, I can't stand another minute of this. Right. I think the KGB could actually use these shows to get people that they've arrested or whatever to talk and spill their guts about <laughs> anything. Because after have them go in there in an empty room and watch two days of keeping up with the Kardashians, they'll tell you anything to get out of there. Right. The vast majority of reality TV shows, um, whether it's a competition-based show or the real world, you, you know, you had Survivor, you mentioned that. You have these dating ones, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I got friends that get really into those. But it seems like what they are trying to do is create situations of conflict and mix in sex with the con- – like conflict and sex, or if not that, just conflict. And – air that conflict on TV in a way that's sort of authentic because it's unscripted. It might be unscripted, but it is certainly directed and staged. And a lot of it is so fake. And maybe it's just, I'm kind of like an easygoing guy. At least I think that I am. A lot of the stuff that they're flipping out over, I would just kind of shrug my shoulders at. So you have these entire programs and shows based around conflict that in my opinion shouldn't even be a conflict. You notice that a lot of these shows and I have is the way to create conflict is to add alcohol into the situations. Yeah. Get them drinking because yeah. if you get a group of people drinking probably within, eh, you know, a, a short amount of time, I would think a half hour, you know, they of course uh, edit it down, but within yeah. a short amount of time, someone was, going to be in someone else's grill about something and it's the same thing you mentioned the the sex part of it the same thing too because alcohol has a tendency to loosen up your morals and your ethics and you know you you know i don't know if it brings out exactly what's naturally inside of you but it kind of breaks down your defenses and all of a sudden you're doing things maybe uh, well probably you wouldn't do Right. (laughs) And that's what they do with a lot of these people. You know, when we talk about even Jersey Shore, there's another one like uh, where they're sailing the yachts, you know, below deck, where after the end of each cruise, the deck crew and also the crew that works waiting on the guests and in the kitchen, they wind up going out and drinking. And it doesn't take long for someone to get upset with somebody else. And it doesn't take long for there to be a lot of crying, uh, near fisticuffs, and then generally somebody getting mad and stalking off. And then probably a couple of people getting involved with each other behind closed doors somewhere. Right. And those are the shows that I don't, and again, if, if you like that, I mean, if you like that kind of entertainment, good for you. That's not what intrigues me. I don't watch a lot of reality TV, and some of the shows that I thought were really good, one of my guilty pleasures, I got really into Deadliest Catch for Mm. a couple seasons, and that was on the uh, National Geographic show, and I guess it constituted reality TV, but they went out on these Alaskan fishing boats and just followed the different crews, but you kind of got to know the people that were on the boats, and you kind of got to like them, and I was sort of fascinated 
by that lifestyle. And, uh, but again, after two or three years, it was sort of more of the same. I, it, it might still be on for all I know. Uh, I got into some of the, believe it or not, one of the ones that hooked me was the one that Gordon Ramsay had where he would go around the restaurants that were failing and then just try and flip them or turn them around or save them. So I'm not going to say that I've never watched reality TV or been caught up in it. I can kind of understand it, but the vast majority of them just make my head hurt. <laughs> yeah. And I have to uh, also put a disclaimer on this from myself in the sense that yes, I watch reality TV to a degree and sometimes I find it rather enjoying other times I find it rather annoying yeah. um, but at the same time I do watch and, and some of my favorites include one of the original reality tv series in my in, in the certain genre cops mm -hmm. now they have cops reloaded on where they follow police officers from different parts of the country around live pd was kind of interesting because they were actually going to situations as they were supposedly occurring and that was taken off last year after there was the big I guess, controversy about police and police alleged brutality and things of that nature. I like live PD because they were going right to the scene. There was one that they went to that was amazing to me. A guy had found somebody on a, who was on a curb and he was dealing with this, this guy who wasn't quite right. And then some other guy on a bicycle decided to ride across the road and was hit by a car right behind him. Oh. And uh, fortunately yeah. he wasn't killed. He was badly injured and, the guy just wheeled right out in front of someone. The, the person driving the car had no way to avoid this person right, on, on yeah. the bike. But, I mean, it was amazing. You never knew quite what you would see. Uh, another one I really liked a lot was Ice Road Truckers. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean it really, I don't really know why I was fascinated with it because it was the same thing. They were driving over these lakes and rivers and things that had frozen over during the winter, rough roads otherwise, uh, and they were trying to get as many loads to from one end to another during the season that they had. And sometimes toward the end, uh, they were driving across slush. And you never yeah. knew quite what might happen to them. Of course, you were a little worried that maybe the truck would break through the ice and they'd go down in the drink and somebody would drown, including the cameraman. Of course, that never yeah. happened. Uh, right. I like Bering Sea Gold. Yeah, that's a good one. They're, you know, finding gold in, in underneath the water and digging for it and things like that. You know, those shows I liked a lot. Yeah, so some of them have been good. And what was the genesis? You mentioned the real world. I guess that was the first full-blown reality TV. But where does it have its roots? Uh, was it sports? Was it game shows? Y you know, because there's been unscripted television ever since there's been television. Right. Well, I do know that, and you, you can probably validate this for me, after the real world, they went to something called Road Rules in 1995. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Sure. Yeah, that was, well, it was MTV. I think it was the same idea, although instead of being in a house, they were driving across the country. I remember that show, but I don't remember. Yeah, they were driving across the country in like a, in like a UV or something or an RV. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. One thing we need to point out is reality TV shows are not always what they seem to be in yeah. terms of the fact that they're not as real as they're portrayed. For instance, absolutely, not. a show that I find interesting because of the things that they run across, American Pickers with Mike mm -hmm. and Frank. And I oh, yeah. yeah, I know that one too. A lady's yeah. name on that show. But they Danielle. come across some really, yeah, they come across some really cool stuff. Well, 
Mike and Frank have had a falling out. Apparently they haven't spoken in two years, but got to meet somebody in Louisville one time and Mike and Frank actually showed up in Louisville and they had set it up in advance to come to this certain place and they would talk about certain items and all these things. And they ran across this guy who wouldn't sell them anything. But all these things, all the places they go and all the visits they have and basically all the stuff they buy is a setup. And, and basically yeah. the same thing with Pawn Stars. The guys that are featured in the show generally never work the counters in that store. I think it's what, Silver and Gold Pawn yeah, Shop? It's Gold and Silver Pawn, and yeah, you're yeah. right. It is totally set up. I, I People actually go to that pawn shop thinking that Chum Lee is going to come out and wait on them. No, like every item that goes in is not a surprise. No. It, it's, it's, yeah, and like you said, it is produced, it is edited, and it, it isn't like this stuff is just happening to come in and they don't know that it's coming. Right. And it's probably the same with American Pickers. It's probably the same with a lot of shows like that. I didn't realize those two had had a falling out. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's kind of a shame because they were real, at one time really good friends, and I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I just read this yesterday that huh. – I think it was Frank was in the hospital and he was upset that Mike didn't call him and they haven't spoken since. Okay. And wow. maybe that turns around at some point. If they really were friends, yeah. at some point you'd think that they would find a way to mend their fences. In mm-hmm. Pawn Stars, from what I understand, the lead characters, they only do appraisals in private rooms inside the store. That's why you never see them. Right, they only yeah. are out at the counter area for the show itself. I ran across some people uh, when I was in Alaska five years ago, and they were talking about some of the reality shows that are based in Alaska. And the one apparently that annoys all of them the most is called Alaskan Bush People. Okay. Where <laughs> I've heard of this family. One. I mean, and there's, there's, that's a weird bunch of people, really. I, yeah. They really do need to be living out in the bush by themselves <laughs> and not affecting the rest of society. Yeah. But uh, they're supposedly building houses and roughing it and all this kind of stuff. But the joke around the places we went in Alaska when they talk about, it, they called them Alaskan hotel people because generally when they weren't filming, they were staying in the best hotels and eating the best food and all this other stuff. So (laughs) that's one that isn't even close to real either. And they try to portray it that way. One of my favorites that you knew had to be fake at the time, but for some odd reason it was enthralling was Amish mafia. Okay. I've never heard of this one either. Just the title is enthralling. Supposedly there were some guys that were protecting the Amish and kind of running things like a little gangster group. In, yeah. in certain parts of Pennsylvania and they had weapons and cars and things like that, that most Amish people would not have. And it turns out that was all completely fake too. And you thought about it at the time, but it was entertaining. Right. You took it for what it was and knew that it was okay. There are other ever- shows too. Like there's one that's called, and this, I'm not sure what's fake about it or not, but I've run across it on my direct TV guide, uh, my 600 pound life, which, that immediately was a turnoff for me when I saw it. I said, you know, I, I don't really like using people who have physical issues. Right. Because stuff like that begins to feel toward, kind of exploitive. I've been in a situation, maybe you have too, probably not, at least I hope not, to where you got stuck watching a reality show every day that you could not stand. And in my case, it was when I was working landscaping for the Louisville Water Company. I did that the summer before I started college, and I think the first summer I was home. 
and every day at lunch, they would turn on Judge Judy, and never in my life have I wanted to break a television more than in those days. <laughs> oh, God, every day. Like, I mean, I, I don't understand the appeal of that particular show. I guess court TV, I, I don't remember when it hit the air or when it went off, but was was that sort of a – prerequisite to a lot of reality-based TV shows that we see. But, you know, and I just thought of this, as you said this, I can remember when I was a little kid and it was a black and white show. Yeah. It was called Divorce Court. Okay. (laughs) And what they had was real people in there going through a divorce and a judge in there hearing the case, supposedly. These people are, of course, very emotional because you, you have, two people who at one time loved each other and were very connected who are now pulling apart right there on live TV. And as a kid, for whatever reason, it was kind of fascinating and saddening at the same time. But I think that's sort of the genesis for all of these court TV programs like Judge Judy and Judge Joe and all the rest of them, where they go in there and they have to solve stupid problems for people who can't seem to follow the rules and do not have any sort of common sense or logic and yeah. they come across these problems. And I'm, I'm sure that these people who are the judges would probably like to just get off the bench and just go down there and strangle some of these people, or hit them <laughs> upside the head with a wiffle ball bat. Right. <laughs> there is one reality TV show that I'm currently watching and I'm going to go ahead and confess right here. I do like to watch big brother. And the reason being is these people are stuck in this house okay. or this apartment or whatever. It's basically a studio that they built and they're all mic'd up. They can't get away from the cameras and the mics, but it's a kind of a microcosm when you talk about a study in humanity, because all they have to entertain each other is the game that they're playing to see who will be basically be the last one alive at the end and one another. Huh. So it's kind of interesting how they deal with, the gameplay because for them the gameplay becomes real life and they right. take it extremely personally there are very few of them that can actually say to themselves this is just a game i'm not going to worry about it. this is not real and they have to struggle with their own personal morals and ethics because they don't act like that in real life but here they have to lie and cheat to win yeah i've heard of the show i've never seen it but uh, that I, yeah I, I i learned more about it in the last few seconds than i ever knew so they're basically confined to this house and how are they, are, are they just sort of one off to each show? They get rid of one of them or. Well, every few shows they get rid of one. Uh, okay. They have competitions and somebody becomes the quote unquote head of household. And his job is to nominate two people for eviction. Mm-hmm. And then they have a competition where they can save their own lives or the life of another and keep them in the house. Or they can just decide to, you know, go out. But what they do is a lot of times they'll set people up where they put two people up on the block, as they call it, for eviction. And one of them is basically a pawn. And after the competition to save a person, they put up the real person that they want to get out of the house. And I think they win uh, half a million dollars if they can be the last one at the end. Of course, there's two people at the end, then they have to convince the so-called jury, which are made up, members are made up from previous house guests that they should be the winner of the show. So I kind of like it just because it it is sort of a study in humanity and it's a a guilty summer pleasure of mine. And I thought I ought to fess up to it. 
as I mentioned, the- I like Live PD. I, I do like, uh, I did like Cops a lot. There's some other interesting shows. The one that just annoys the crap out of me is The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and one yeah. of Love Island, where it's just a bunch of beautiful 20-somethings getting together, and they're trying to decide who they're going to spend the rest of their life with from spending time on a TV show. Yeah, I'll, I never have to worry about being on a show like that. <laughs> Here's one that I never saw that I heard about that, that just sounded ingenious, no matter what you think of reality TV. I don't know if the episodes are still out there. I could never really catch it. Tommy Lee goes to college. Just the title of the show is amazing. First show, the last show, and it lasted five minutes. Yeah. But apparently he enrolled at the University of Nebraska as a student, and it just followed him around. That is brilliant. There's nothing reality at all real about any of that, but wow. Tommy Lee goes to college. Well, I kind of came up with uh, with a friend of mine, an idea for our own reality game show you remember that show are you smarter than a fifth grader where they were yeah i have heard of it yeah questions we came up with one are you tougher than a fifth grader (laughs) so it'd be a guy armed with one of those big bam bam wiffle ball bats (laughs) rushed by increasing numbers of fifth graders you know 10 year olds and yeah how long before they finally take him down and he or she for that matter right (laughs) We could see it like the lightning round they'd hold in the dark and they'd have them coming from different directions. Yeah. <laughs> the, the things you think of when you have a lot of free time in your hands. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> but I could just hear that. <laughs> Here they come. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, I oh. realize it's not funny. Someone right now, <laughs> as we speak, is calling the State Department <laughs> right. for, for, for Family and Children's Services. Oh. There may not be a show next week because we'll both right, be yeah. in jail. By the way, that is a fictitious suggestion. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You might be on to something there. <laughs> well, uh, that ought to do it for this week's show. If it, yeah. if it doesn't, it will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to tell people that if they are interested in emailing us with a topic or a comment or whatever, they can reach us at halftime240 at gmail.com, halftime240 at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening this week. We look forward to having you back next week. And we promise that we won't threaten any adolescents in next week's show with, with any kind of physical violence, which, again, was just a joke. So, right. <laughs> Drew, thanks as always. Man, no problem. Had fun with today's show, and I appreciate your time. That's Drew Barnett. Oh, I'm yeah, Chuck okay. Yeah. I, I forgot to sign off. Yeah, That's thanks, right. Chuck. <laughs> <All right. laughs> You've been listening to this week's edition of Halftime with Chuck and Drew.